Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dash Radio Show with your hosts, Don Wright DeBrant and Peter Mingles. Thanks for tuning in. To follow our every move, here's what to do. First, click follow at the top of our show. Then, hop on over and subscribe to our blog at www.thedashradioshow.com. Text DASH to 37404 for our upcoming mobile experience. And like us on facebook.com forward slash the Dash Radio. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Peter Mingles here, The Dash Radio. I am here with a great guest speaker who I'm going to introduce in a second. But for all those people that are wondering, like, how are things and where are we and where is Dawn? Dawn has opened up a retail location on her own with her family and, and friends. And they are doing wonderful things in her local community. And Tuesday, what's today? Wednesday is a working day. So she is working her tail off as she is learning how to turn that community upside down on their ears and give them one of the best locations possible for some really cool things. And I won't spoil any of it for you because I'm going to let her talk about it on one of the shows that she's on. But again, Dawn Wright the Bronze, she's my go- my guest go- co-host, and she is not going to be here today. But that's totally okay. You're in good hands. I am here with a gentleman named Dennis Erikin. And Dennis is the CEO of a company called, well, actually a website. I'm going to give you the website. So for all those people that like to go look, look for Place making group.com so place like it sounds p-l-a-c-e making m-a-k-i-n-g group g-r-o-u-p.com if you want to go there and check out some cool stuff make sure you pay attention to our voices but definitely check out our site and look at the resources that he has and we are here on the dash radio today we're talking about getting famous like making yourself known as i say as i learned in advertising if you are not advertising and promoting your business, you're probably like winking in the dark, which means you're the only one that knows you're doing it. So if you don't know what you're doing, use some of Dennis's company services. And we're going to talk about that entrepreneurial trek, and we're going to talk about how things are changing and how things are working and how you can be competitive. And if you use people like Dennis's services, how you can have an edge over your competition. So, Dennis, thanks for being on our call. Well, thanks for letting me be on it. I had a wonderful conversation with the gal who works with you. Her name is Miriam. And she just thinks the world of you and the world of what she's doing. So you have a great one over there, I'll tell you. She's she, very she, nice, she, yes. She was really great, and I really appreciated everything that she said. And I've spent some considerable time on your website um, in preparation for this show. And i got to share with you, it's very well done. Very, it, I love the services that you guys provide. And, and you can just obviously see that you guys walk the walk, talk the talk, and can actually get the job done. I went through some of the case histories and the studies of the companies you've been working with, and I'm talking about, like, you guys are really top-notch. So, first of all, yeah, you're welcome. So tell us a little bit about what you do, and then i got to share with you this. I know I'm jumping around for just a second. I love the stories. I love the stories about how you got started, some of the lucky breaks, some of the things where you say almost, oh, my gosh, Peter, this one almost really took us out. I love to hear the entrepreneurial story because there's a lot of people. Yeah, there's a lot of people that are listening in, and they're entrepreneurs themselves, and some of them may have not achieved the level of success that you have. And you might say, well, you've got to remember, like 10 years ago, this is where we were. We started over here. And I just love to hear the entrepreneurial stories. And like I had mentioned, for all those people that might be listening in, we're the Dash Radio. And on the Dash Radio, the reason why we call it the Dash is if you looked at a tombstone, maybe when somebody was done, you have a date of birth and a date of when it was over, and everything else in between is represented by that little teeny-weeny dash. 
and there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff inside there and we want to have as many successful people tell you about their dash so then that might inspire and encourage and give you the direction that you might be listening into so we might have some people that climb off the ledge that take the chances that they probably need to take, that hear those words of encouragement that say, hey, Dennis and his group are doing it. We can do, you know, wonderful and big things too. So, Dennis, I'm sorry for rambling, but that's why we're here. So give us the whole scoop. <laughs> start wherever you start wherever you want. Well, there's, there's two different directions. The first thing is the, uh, the placemaking group that's marketing to put you on the map make a place for you in the world. And that's something that, uh, for me, has been part of my brain ever since, you know, I can remember. My my um, my inclination is to make people famous. I've, I've been doing that ever since I was a kid. I just can't help myself. Um, and on the entrepreneurial side, um, the that's, you know, that was one of the decisions I had to make was what am I going to do with this? And I'll be glad to, to give you some, some thoughts on and some stories on that. But the, uh, the main thing is what we do is um, at the placement group is, is that one of the things that I realized, and again, I'll tell you more about why I realized this, but um, that everything goes through the web now. For the, you know, every, everything that you do, everything that we do, everything that anybody does, any business, the front door is now the website. And to me, that's really an important piece of information because that means that that your website has to be completely ready to go. It evokes your brand. It makes sense. It tells people who you are, what you are, what you do. And uh, there's a call to action. Uh, there's there's opportunities, everything, so that when a person comes to your website, they don't spend 15 seconds looking at it and then going, oops, I might as well go somewhere else, and all of a sudden they're gone and never see them again. So to me, that was really important. And um, uh, many years ago, uh, when I started looking around for a, uh, uh, a PR group that I wanted to work with, I found the group that, that I turned into the placemaking group, and those were, were people who really understood public relations, understood how to place stories, how to get you know the stories out there, but, made, but they also really understood the web. And again, that's the key to this, is that whatever story goes out there, um, person reads it, what do they do, just like you just did, first thing you do is you go to the website. So that's that's really important. And um, and that's what I like everybody to constantly think about is that, that you know, your website is the door to your business and uh, it has to evoke your brand, it has to be interesting, it has to have a call to action, but it's got to be your brand. And then whatever information you send out wherever, however, you know that people are going to be coming back to that. So that's that's kind of it. Um, I'd be glad to start out with uh, my uh, entrepreneurial stuff if you like. I'd love to hear the story, but let's just okay. kind of like punctuate and emphasize everything. I you know I got to agree with you that in reference to your website, that's how you're judged now. Yep. It's kind of like almost like your report card or maybe your grades or your SAT scores. I mean everything else doesn't really matter, or everything else really does matter. But if you don't have great websites, stuff that's working for you, no one knows you're out there. I don't know how many web pages or websites that are out there right now, but I mean, there's trillions. I don't know the number, but it's a really big number. How does someone really find you that's going to be important? Okay, so that's uh, punctuating the importance of using your services. Otherwise, you can have really great things and just no one knows about it. So talk about how you got started in your entrepreneurial thing. 
Okay. So, um, so go back, you know, many, many years ago uh, to the to the uh, the 1970s. I was a kid in a rock band traveling around the country, and uh, having a wonderful time. And and, uh, uh, and this is the very early 70s, by the way. And um, and um, but I had made a rule because I'm so goal oriented. Which again, I think if you're a if you're an entrepreneur, you have to be goal oriented along with looking at the big picture and along with seeing what the possibilities are, you have to have goals that you stick to. And luckily enough, that was part of it with me. So my goal was that if if my band didn't have a record contract by the time I was 23, that I was going to go get a regular job. Now, I did that goal because that's the year, that's how old John Lennon was when they had their first hit record. And I figured if it worked for him, it's going to work for me. Now, luckily enough, Luckily enough, some of my compatriots like Huey Lewis and Sammy Hagar didn't have that rule, and they waited till they were almost 30 to become huge. And we were all so glad that they did. But in my case, again, my goal was, you know, it's one or the other. So, so there I was, um, um, you know, uh, very early uh, in my life, and uh, I'm on the East Coast uh, from from you know having grown up in California. Uh, one of my uncles uh, buys one of the biggest restaurants in Boston and invites me to go in there, and I got to you know really become part of that for a year, and I got to learn how to hire people and fire people and how to build. So uh, did I miss a step? Did I miss a step? I guess you missed your goal at 23. Oh yeah, right, right. I'm <laughs> sorry. Yes. <laughs> so at 23, we did get time. I heard you put yourself in an ultimatum, and I'm like, okay, so that means he, it had to happen. And then, wait a minute, where did we go? We went right, to right, right, right. Right. Oh, right. Okay, sorry, sorry, you're right, you're right. So, <laughs> so at 23, I realized, okay, that didn't happen. Now, the interesting thing is that there are still people that listen to our, from all those years back, you know, on the web, oh. our, our our songs are still out there, and people listen to them. And I get, I get emails, you know, every every year or two from somebody saying, I was listening to your band from 1972, you know, and something like wow. that, which is really a delight. But anyhow, so my uncle, you know, buys this restaurant, and there I am, and I'm learning about how to run a business, and and um, he he lets me pretty much run it. So at 23 years old, I'm running a one of the biggest restaurants in Boston, and getting to know that. And then I started thinking, you know what? I want to do this for myself. I want I I don't want to work for somebody else. I want to do this for myself. So um, I come back to California, and I start thinking, okay, what am I going to do, and how am I going to do it? And what I what I really wanted to do was I wanted to start a magazine. That's what that's what I realized I wanted to do because again I like making people famous and I want to be writing about people and talking about people. So uh, so there I am. I'm now 24 years old. Uh, I go to the library and check out a book on how to start a magazine. And, <laughs> and, and right, I mean, you know, <laughs> no, I, I didn't go to any you know uh, high-powered uh, venture capitalist or something like that. No, I just went to the library, checked out a book. And uh, the book uh, described um, well. There was a spreadsheet in there that said you needed back then in 1974 you needed two million dollars to start a magazine. And I thought, oh, that's more than I have because I don't have anything. So I started reading the spreadsheet and and uh, and I wanted to do a music magazine. Now the interesting thing is that there were already two music magazines in the Bay Area. Amazingly enough, because the because the San Francisco Bay Area is not noted as a publishing center, but here the two magazines were were Guitar Player and Rolling Stone. Guitar wow. Player for musicians, Rolling Stone for the fans. The two biggest magazines in music were in my hometown. So so there I am. You know, I'm thinking about it. So so anyhow, I'm looking at that spreadsheet, and the first thing it says is is two hundred thousand of that two million is for expertise. 
So I put a check mark next to that. I know the music business, at least I thought I did, right? So I got check mark next to that. Then the one point eight million dollars that was rest, that was still needed to start a magazine was to to get people to back then pay a dollar ninety nine to buy the magazine on the newsstand. And I'm looking at that, and I'm and I notice that there's no there's no profit associated with that $1.8 million. All the profit was associated with selling advertising. The $1.8 million was just marketing to convince people to, to spend that $1.99. So I was thinking, there's got to be another way around that. And I came up with a concept, which was giving the magazine away for free at point of purchase. In other words, where people were buying music, whether it was records back then or musical instruments or, any, or, or concerts, um, that I would give the magazine away for free there. Now, I didn't know that I was going to be changing the publishing industry at the time. I just thought I was dealing with my own little problem. Little did I know how much, you know, what was going to happen across the country because of this. So I started the first free magazine. And uh, the first uh, issue that came out uh, was... Every copy moved. I think I printed like 20,000 copies or something like that. I spent every penny that I had, um, printed those copies. They all moved. And during the course of that first year, I was the fastest-growing magazine in the country as uh, um, you know, a couple of different uh, New York uh, uh, publishing companies talked about that. And also, all of a sudden, people started realizing you could have free magazines. So, so I changed the publishing industry without even trying, you know, just, just because I needed that. Out of necessity. It was, a, it was, a, it was the course you, had to, yeah, course you had to run through. And every one of us, every one of us entrepreneurs has to deal with things like that. You have to decide, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I want to do this. How am I going to do it? Where am I going to get the money? Some people, and you know, and I help nowadays. I, I help uh, people, um, you know, find venture capitalists or or, uh, or uh, angel investors. But at the time, you know, I'm 24 years old. I didn't know any of that kind of stuff. All I knew was that I wanted to do this. So I came up with a different way, and that way turned out to be really good for me and really good for everybody else, um, and not so good for some magazines. By the way, <laughs> you know, who all of a sudden right. we were competitors, um, and and things were great and. And, um, and now the next step that an entrepreneur needs is an entrepreneur needs a mentor. It's always really good to have somebody that you trust, somebody that you can count on, um, you know, where you can ask them a question or two. And luckily enough for me, well, luckily enough for me, in the Bay Area, in the San Francisco Bay Area, was a concert promoter. His name was Bill Graham, and he was the biggest concert promoter in the country. He also uh, had a, uh, uh, a business in, putting on shows in New York and, uh, and, and in San Francisco Bay Area, and he put on shows all over the country. You know, the Rolling Stones would take, have him take them around the world. Uh, uh, so he was a, this huge entity right in the San Francisco Bay Area. So how do you, how do you get connected there. So what I did, and I was lucky because, you know, journalists, we at least get to, to, to you know, ask people to, to talk to us. And, and I asked Bill uh, through, his, through his publicist if he'd want to do an interview. And Bill said, sure. And, and um, as we're talking, I asked him my first big question, which is, and, and I want you guys to be thinking about this because this is an incredibly important piece of the puzzle. I said, Bill, why are you famous? And the reason I asked him that was because in the San Francisco Bay Area and in New York City, whenever he was at a show, 
Well, everywhere else in the country that we would play, the guy who ran the production company usually sat in the back room, and he would send some little you know, n- newbie out onto the stage after the opening act. And by the way, I saw this because we were always the opening act. We never got higher than that. But anyhow, they would send you know, somebody out after the opening act who would then you know, kind of nervous a little bit and shaking would say, and the next, you know, the next artist coming up over the next few weeks are, and, um, you know, and then run off the stage. But in San Francisco and in New York, whenever Bill walked out on the stage, he would do it whichever town he was in he would make sure he did it he would first he'd walk out on the stage he would yell at somebody in the audience at the very front rows and just capture everybody's attention and then he would look into the crowd and tell people who the next you know who's going to be coming up the rolling stones are coming up next week and whoever is coming up the week after that and then he would smile and walk off the stage and it was really impressed me because no one else was doing this I also noticed that he would be on TV, he was on various uh, radio shows, the newspapers were covering him. So I asked him, Bill, why are you famous? And his eyebrow goes up and a smile comes on his face and he says, no one ever asked me that before. Which, you know, for a journalist is always a scary uh, kind of concept because that either means it was a really good idea or a really stupid question. But in this case, he, he, he meant it was a good idea. And what he explained to me was that when he was going to college, in the summers he would work in the Catskill Mountains at this one uh, hotel restaurant, and that's where he made his money. But he noticed that the guy who, the family that owned that hotel restaurant owned a bunch of hotels in the Catskill Mountains, and he was in the newspapers all the time, he was on the radio all the time, occasionally on TV, and it really fascinated him, because why was you know Mr. Levenger everywhere? So one day he got the nerve, and he walked up to Mr. Levenger and said, Mr. Levenger, why are you famous? The exact same question that I asked about 20 years later. And Mr. Levenger says, it's really important for an entrepreneur to be well-known in his community and in his line of work. If you are well-known in your community and if you're if you're well-known in your line of work, then good things can happen. He said, the hotel that you're working in right now, he said three years ago when the fellow who owned it passed away, his wife didn't put an ad in the newspaper. She didn't hire a broker. She called me directly and said, do you want to buy this hotel? Now, she saved a couple of points by not having a broker. I probably saved a couple of points because I was able to get a lower price. But the important thing was that she called me because I was famous. And then he said, that's what's important. And then he pointed to Bill and he said, so my advice to you, sir, is get famous. And Bill's thought was, what do I need to be famous for? I want to be an accountant. I'm studying to be an accountant. And and um, little did he know that, that after he graduated from college and got a, got a job with a New York accounting company, they sent him to San Francisco. And while he was there, he discovered this incredible music scene and decided that he wanted to be a part of it. And that's when he remembered his the advice to get famous. And he made sure that he was. He was he was everywhere. He made sure like I said, he would walk he'd be the guy walking out on stage and whether it was a hundred people in the audience or eventually sixty or seventy thousand people in the audience, he was the guy that made sure everyone knew who knew he was and all the radio stations he was on, all the T V stations, et cetera. So wow. then he points to me. Then he points to me and he says, So my advice to you, sir, is get famous. And my thought was, yeah, you could have told me that a few years ago when I was trying to be a rock star. Now, what does it matter? You know, I'm just trying to be a journalist and trying to, you know, run this magazine. Why do I need to be famous? But, you know, it's stuck in my mind. Now, here's the interesting thing. And this has to do with branding, and then it has to do with, with again, the result of, of the entrepreneurial instincts. The first thing is, when I started BAM, I realized that I couldn't compete with the two magazines that were already in place. 
Bam again it was, was just for those people that are listening. Oh, I'm sorry, Bam Bay Area was Bay Area Music Magazine. Got it. Yeah, and um, and so I couldn't compete by going, you know, nose to nose with Rolling Stone or guitar player. They would both wipe me out. So I realized, and again, this is really important, and I want everybody to be thinking about this. That that what I realized was that I needed a niche that I could be number one in. And so I realized that both those magazines, their first issue or two was pretty much just about Bay Area musicians because that's where they were from. But within a few issues, because the world was open to them, they took off and they became these huge international successes. But the, but the Bay Area music scene was still available for somebody to work. So that's when I realized I'm going to have a magazine that covers the Bay Area music scene only. And that meant that I could be number one in my brand and people glommed onto it immediately because, again, in, in the San Francisco Bay Area, that was a big deal. And like I said, we became the fastest-growing magazine in the country, even though we were only distributed in, um, in you know, the San Francisco Bay Area at the time. Eventually, we grew past that. So that's the first thing is you have to have a real clear concept of what your niche is and make sure you can be number one in that niche. You can be the first one in that niche. Always helps, but even number two is okay, but number one is fantastic. So that's the first thing. Now, here's the thing that, that happened, though. Because I changed how much it cost to start a magazine, during my first year, I had five competitors doing free music magazines. I mean, wh- what horrible luck can that be? Wow. That all yeah. of a sudden there were five competitors. Now, we were out first by four or five months, but then they all started to show up because they realized, oh, this, is, you know, this doesn't cost that much and it's easy to do. So I'm thinking about Bill's advice about Get Famous, and I'm thinking, how can that help me? And then it hit me that one of the things that I had wanted to do ever since I was a kid, and again, it's because I love making people famous, is I thought, how cool would it be to put on an award show where you give awards just to Bay Area musicians, the ones that I grew up, you know, who were huge around me, the Jefferson Starship, Jefferson Airplane, the Grateful Dead, uh, uh, you know, bands like that uh, that were all around um, playing the local scene. So I thought, you know what, here's an opportunity. So now here's the thing. Remember I said I wanted to make Bill my mentor? In my Uh case, he was huge. He didn't have any time for me. He wasn't going to be my mentor. So what I did was I asked a couple of people who worked for him. I said, is there any day during the week that Bill has less to do than other days? And they said, oh, yeah. Wednesday afternoon, they said, Bill has nothing to do. By Thursday, he's completely nuts. Friday and the weekend, he's working every minute. But Wednesday afternoon, we, we try to stay out of his office because he'll talk to us for an hour. So I thought, okay, I'm going to give this a try. So I started showing up in his office. Yeah, I would just drive to, you know, to his office in San Francisco, walk in at about 4 o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon, ask for Bill. They'd say, sure, please, go in there. And I would, he would just let me in, and then I'd ask him a question or two, and he would just talk on and on and on because this was the day that he was just bored out of his mind anyhow. So my advice to every one of you listening is, you know, along with identifying that niche that makes you that you can be number one in, identify somebody that can be your mentor because that can be so helpful. So here's this guy, the biggest guy in in, in literally at the time, there was nobody bigger than him in in uh, uh, live music production in the world, and every Wednesday afternoon he would let me in. So so one day I asked him because you know again I'm thinking about how am I going to deal with this. I said, Bill. I'm thinking about doing uh, – here's my problem. I've got these five competitors, and I'm thinking about doing a uh, music award show in the Bay Area. What do you think about that? And he said two things. 
The first is, I hate award shows, so I'll never show up, which luckily enough turned out not to be the case because he showed up every year. But the other, the, so that was the first thing. But he said, but you know what? You're absolutely right. This is important, and I'm going to help make it happen. He said, I'm going to call the top radio stations, the top uh, band managers, uh, the, the, uh, the newspaper. We're going to get everybody together, and you're going to tell them your idea, and I want you to make sure that you're in charge. So I'm blown away, right? I'm, you know, still in my my mid twenties, and here I am. I'm about to. And by the way, I didn't have enough money to have a conference room, so I was really lucky that Bill let me, let me use his. And the very people standing sitting around the table were those people that he described: the top radio stations, the top TV station, the managers of the Grateful Dead, the Jefferson Airplane, um, you know, these huge bands. The managers were there, and I explained the idea, and they were all nodding. And then, again, thinking of what Bill had told me, I said, and to make it easy on everybody, I'll be the front guy. I'll be the guy that goes out on stage. I'll be the guy that does the interview, so you won't have to worry about it. And they all said, great, thank you. That's the last thing we want to do. So they were letting me be exactly what I needed to be, which was the front guy, the guy that was going to you know, get famous. Well, luckily enough... Um, we put on a great first show. And by the way, to anybody out there, one of the great ways to get get well-known is give out awards. Because if you, And you have to do them regularly. If once a year is fabulous, every other year, or every twice a year, whatever. But you have to be regular about it so that everyone can feel comfortable that this is going to happen. So the first year was good. And, and I, you know, I was on all the radio stations, the TV stations, the newspapers all wrote about me. Um, and I was on that stage, you know, that, that night, uh, uh, et cetera. And the amazing thing was, during the course of the next year, all five of my competitors went out of business. Wow. Yes, because it was clear. Now, now the nice thing is, they didn't know that I was doing this to get, get rid of them. They just thought, oh, Dennis keeps coming up with these damn good ideas. And some of them are still my friends decades later. But, but, at the, you know, but again, at that time, that it had that result, and it was incredible. So, so, and they gave up because they felt they couldn't compete? No, because they, they could, no, because it turned out they couldn't compete. Because once, if you're in a sales situation, if people trust you more than anybody else, then you get the sales. And let me give you an example. Well, I mean, so I, I was able to walk into businesses and say, you know, they say, aren't you the guy that put on the Bammies? And I, which is the, you know, the Bay Area Music Awards, the Bammies was uh, what it was called, and we did it for 25 years. But but here's the fun one. So um, Apple Computer. Um, the, man, the, the marketing director of Apple Computer uh, calls me up and says, "I want to talk to you tomorrow. This is, you know, this is something interesting." Now, I had just started a computer magazine at the time called Microtimes, and, and this is right, yeah, you know, the third year into it. And Apple Computer calls up and wants to talk to me. So I'm really excited. I go home that night and tell my wife, "I'm going to go see Apple Computer. We're going to sell them some ads. I need to buy a suit." So we go out to a store and I buy a suit and I buy a briefcase. And um, the next morning, there I am, suit and tie, driving to Cupertino uh, for Apple Computer, and uh, and I show up and I uh, I talk to the receptionist and tell them who I am, tell her who I am, and she says, Oh yes, you know, you're you're scheduled for right now. Come on, I'll take you up these. And, and the Apple Computer back then had these fabulous kind of round stairs that went around uh, uh, yeah, this this whole indoor area and it just felt like I was going in to you know see the the master of something or other and I walk in and here's another thing that then happened so I walk in wearing a suit and tie holding a briefcase the marketing director of Apple computer back then uh, was a fellow who was 
and I will never forget this. He was wearing a black turtleneck shirt and a, and a leather jacket and blue jeans. And by the way, back then, Steve Jobs didn't dress that way. He stole that idea from the guy who worked for him. Wow. And uh, so he's reaching down to pick something up when I walk in, and the woman you know, introduces me. This is Dennis Erickson from, from BAM Magazine and Microtimes. And he's reaching down for something, and he looks up, and he sees me in this suit and tie holding a briefcase. And I will never forget what he then said. I thought you were cool. In other words, who the heck is this guy coming in with a suit and tie and a briefcase? He wanted to see the guy that put on the bammies. He wanted wow. to see the guy that, that, that you, know, is the, the, you know, hangs out with rock stars. And it was so funny. And I said immediately, I said, I'll never do that again. I'll, I, I, you know, tomorrow, <laughs> if I, you know, next time I'm here, I'll wear my regular uh, you know, blue jeans and T-shirt. I swear I won't wear anything like this. And he laughed and he sat me down. And he then went on to buy two pages full color for a year. Wow. That's what he did that day, which meant that we eclipsed everybody around us. And that, again, is because I, ha- I had established a brand that I evoked, that I was, the, I was the brand messenger of, and that was that BAM, the BAMIs, Microtimes, we were hip, we made people famous, and uh, it was just an amazing thing. And that magazine went on, by the way, to become the eighth largest computer magazine in the country for over 10 years. Um, it was uh, very, very successful. And it was, again, I could, I was, a, it was so fun. I could call any of the top people in the computer business in, in California you know, the, the Steve Wozniaks, the, uh, all those guys, I could call them, and they would take my call because I was famous, because they knew that they could then get, you know, tickets to, to see the Bammies, which they would then pay for, of course, but at least they could get in. So, um, so that's the kind of thing that you can do if you're famous. But you have to embody your brand. You can't, you can't show up wearing a suit if they think you're supposed to show up wearing blue jeans and a T-shirt. So that's just some of the things that that uh, that I like everyone to know about is is um, you know get a niche, understand what your niche is, and be number one in your niche. And your uh, you can in niches can be all sorts of different things. If you're a real estate agent, maybe it's the city that you work in. Um, you know, it's all sorts of different things depending on on what what you are. But you want to be number one in that. Second thing is is get famous. Make sure that that people know about you, that you're out there, that you're well known in your community and in your uh, in your locale. And then the third thing is you have to personify and keep true to your brand. And I don't mean that just in you know making sure that you wear blue jeans if you're supposed to wear a suit if you're supposed to, but all the way through, that your website evokes your brand, that all your marketing materials evoke your brand, that your people that you work with understand what your brand is and um, and can go out and do the same thing. What an excellent story. Now, I, I remember before we started the radio show, I was going to, and we were going to do a commercial break. Oh, my about gosh, 15, sorry. About 15 minutes and about 30 minutes. We've been going for about 30 minutes, and I have been riveted listening to your interesting story. So although I have been watching the clock, I wouldn't have stopped it to skip a lick for nothing. So we're going to take a little little, one-minute break. We're going to come back on the other side. I started to jot down some of my thoughts as you were speaking, so we'll be right back, guys. Hold on one second. 
Savage Smokes is a new site on the scene dedicated to the trending electronic cigarette industry. If you are looking into e-cigs as an alternative to tobacco and have been disappointed by the ones you picked up at the gas station or you kept your money in your pocket because you didn't know which one to buy, head to SavageSmokes.com for honest and up-to-date electronic cigarette reviews on most e-cigs you see on the shelves. You've been listening to the Dash Radio Show with hosts Don Wright DeBronce and Peter Mingles. Thanks for tuning in. To follow our every move, here's what to do. First, click follow at the top of our show. Then, hop on over and subscribe to our blog at www.thedashradioshow.com. Text DASH to 37404 for our upcoming mobile experience. And like us on Facebook.com forward slash The Dash Radio. And now... Back to the show. And we are here, Peter Mingles. We're talking to Dennis Arakan, and he is the CEO of a company called PlacementMarketingGroup.com. So if you go to PlacementMarketingGroup.com. Placemaking. Place Placemaking. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. com. Thanks for the correction. I wrote it down right, and if you were to see my writing, then you'd know why I said it wrong. So PlacemakingGroup.com. Yep, so when you go there, I, I've been just riveted by your story, and I was trying to recap it for maybe some people that were listening in and just kind of add some twist to it. Because I know there's a, when we talked about the dash, and you started talking about like every Wednesday you would see that gentleman because Wednesday was his downtime. Well, you might have had some. Do you know there was a Monday and a Tuesday and a Thursday and a Friday and a Saturday and a Sunday? And like, how did you survive during those periods of time? And while you were buying your time and building your reputation and gleaming all this information, you know, were you feeding your family? Like, what was going on during that period of time? But the one thing that I want to just have a little, I want to poke a little bit of fun with was when you put the ultimatum on as far as the musician and then you put the time frame on it and then your goals were repossessed. <laughs> I was what I, what I would call it. Like you said, that's it, I'm going to do it or else. And it didn't happen. And then you moved in a different direction. And for some people, they don't realize that that's sometimes an important part of the story because what if you would have hit your goals? You probably would have telling a different story today. If, if you would have hit that goals of getting that record label, who knows what it might have been, but I know you would not have been on my show today. And you might not have ever gone to Boston, and you might not have ever worked in the restaurant. And for the year or so that you did that, who knows all the different lessons that you learned and the philosophies and the customer service and what to do and what not to do. All of those things were part of your story. So I, that is just so fascinating. And when you were on a roll, I was just like, wow, this is really amazing. Absolutely flat and amazing, and obviously I love the the bam and the bammies and all that fun sort of stuff. <laughs> 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 it is such, so interesting and kind of fun and kind of a little tweak of corny, if you know what I mean. It's just Absolutely. adorable, if you will. So just so catchy. So that's that's really great. And obviously you're successful now, and you've had a great you know you've had a great run. But talk to us about like you know here you are you're doing the Wednesday thing, learning from that gentleman gleaming all this information, kind of, I'm going to use the word like setting yourself up for the leverage that you'll use by working with those other people and allowing them to feel good about helping you as well. It all kind of worked. But, man, you were over your head so many times in this story. I'm like, you were so far out of your comfort zone, like so ill-prepared for what you were doing. How did you manage that? Well, the important thing, because 
no entrepreneur that I've known can be completely prepared uh, because the world throws surprises at you, you know, on a on a regular basis, and you know that as as, as well as I do, and all of the listeners know that too. The um, so what you want to do is you want to be as prepared as possible. Um, and the way my brain works is I do research until I get an answer, and then I stop doing research. And and I know people who do research and then continue to research and then continue to research and then have three or four different answers and are you know then then weigh them and all of a sudden you know the whole process takes a long time. In my case, the way it works in my brain is I'll I'll go in like I you know went to the library and checked out a book on on how to start a magazine. It was uh, it, luckily enough all the information was there. I didn't have to go to another one, um, and that's that's how my brain works and. Um, so for me, that's worked out well. But you're absolutely right. As an entrepreneur, and I've seen this happen over and over again, not just to me, to, but to other people also, is is you're in over your head with something. You know, something's working right, but something isn't. And that's when you have to decide, okay, how am I going to deal with this? What am I going to do? And um, one of the things that I did over the, the first couple of years was found really, really good people to work with. To me, that was an essential part of it because I knew there was no way I could do everything. One of the things that I saw very quickly was even though I wanted to be the writer, you know, I wanted to be the interviewer, I wanted to, to talk to people and all that, I realized um, that I had to sell the advertising. I was the one that had to go do that and that it couldn't just be me because I couldn't sell enough advertising. I had to find more people. So not only did I have to find people to write, but I had to find people to sell advertising, and that was an important part of of the growth. and And, um, and luckily enough for me, um, you know, I was a young guy, and I could. Uh, it was a good time for, for other young people to be out there looking for, you know, the great opportunity. And it didn't hurt that I was doing something that was pretty glamorous, which was, you know, working in uh, in music. That that really helps and there's always people that are you know interested in doing that so um so you know i use the opportunities that presented themselves to me and um and every time and that's why you need a mentor by the way is because when you're in over your head it's so wonderful to be able to just sit down and say okay here's here's my what my brain's telling me right now and here's my problem uh how did you deal with it and that's always good to ask them how they dealt with it uh because then they can tell you stories that they actually did as opposed to just giving you advice which in a lot of cases can be um either boring or 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 out of nowhere but if you ask them you know how did you deal with something like this then all of a sudden the stories just pour out wow so relative to the you know as a as a as an owner as an entrepreneur you had a lot of crossroads where mm-hmm. maybe uh, you know you make a left and it's over the cliff or you make a right yep. and you kind of able to make it I mean, it sounded as if you were at a lot of those things during many times during your career, and maybe that mentor kind of nudged you the right way more frequently. And if you didn't have him or maybe her in that instance, um, chances are you wouldn't be on the phone talking about the same level of success that you were able to attain. Exactly right. So we go from the magazine, which is a printed piece of material, you're doing the amazing things that you are right now. And there's a lot of magazines that are really struggling right now. So are mm-hmm. you capable of like telling us a little bit about like the digital switch and how that's changed the world of a lot of things, both music and print and sure. news and all of that yeah. sort of stuff and and maybe how that steered you into the course that you're doing right now with placemakinggroup.com. So if all mm-hmm. of you guys are listening in and you want to write it down, 
placemakinggroup.com. So you've evolved because you might still be doing some things in those areas, but obviously with the company that you're running right now, it's evolved too at the times. Chances are you might not be able to start that printed magazine the way you did today. So if someone's saying to themselves, I want to do what he did, you might say, but you really can't do that. Now, you wouldn't steal someone's dreams, so maybe they could do whatever they want. But the reality is you really can't do that because it's a little bit different today. Well, so, you know, here's the interesting thing. You can do that. The problem is that the opportunity isn't as great as it was back then. Back then, the magazines and newspapers were the focus of, of, uh, of print. Now it's the web. You're absolutely right. So, I mean, I, I know, uh, uh, you know, at least every year, every other year, somebody comes to me and, and – and has me be their mentor and ask me questions about how to start a magazine and a few of them have done it but they're you know they're really they're small businesses now as opposed to something that could have grown big in my case as far as the web goes um um well let me tell you the um Steve Wozniak and I are the same age and we went to competing high schools in Cupertino um and it just always made me mad that it, in our senior year he won the science fair by coming and we came in second uh so did you know he, did you know him not in high school but afterwards yes but in okay. high school we were yeah. like I said competitors at two different schools Com- but I remember you knew the high school yeah he, I knew the high school and I knew him because he won that the science fair that I came in second my second place was a friend of mine and I developed a uh, a portable computer uh, excuse me a portable keyboard that you could play music on it made only one note at a time it wasn't you know what eventually happened where it was an entire keyboard but it could make one note at a time but at least it could do it and I thought <laughs> we got this one made we got this one in the you know he, he slam dunk and what does he do? Keep in mind, we're seniors in high school. He brings to the science fair a portable, and by portable, I mean something that goes huge on a desk, computer. He actually, as a high school student, came up with something that was incredibly not powerful, <laughs> but it actually worked as a computer, and he won. And so I hated him, but also at the same time, I respected him. And then when he started Apple, uh, we became friends, and because uh, you know, and and uh, um, and he, the reason I'm saying this is because one day he calls me up and he says, um, "I want you. We got a new computer, and I want you to try one. So come on down here and get it." So now, of course, you know, uh, I've been, uh, you know, they've been running ads with us, and we're part of all that. But here's Wozniak, and I, I drive down, and his brother runs out with the original Macintosh, which was called a Lisa. Not even in a box, just a computer runs out of the, you know, and runs over to my car and just puts it in my car and I drive back and I get used to it and I realize, okay, this is where the future is going. The first Apple, you know, the first Macintosh had what we're all so used to now, which is called WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. In other words, a screen that looks like a piece of paper, a screen that has vision and pictures and words and all that stuff. Before that, it was just text. And that's when I realized, okay, things are going to start changing. And uh, and we were, so we were really involved with Apple. We were part of their their web experience uh, when AOL started. AOL uh, we were uh, we were on AOL. We had our own little section on there. And I realized this is going to just screw everything up. So what I what I started doing was you know making my plans on leaving the world of, of print and um, and my entrepreneurial bent at that time uh, wasn't good enough for me to start a really good website that meaning I wasn't I didn't start Google I didn't start Yahoo I didn't start any of those um, and um, but I did 
you know, eventually get out, sold all my magazines. Um, now we have BAMMagazine.com, by the way, and, and so that's that's there. So BAMMagazine.com is available for you to go look at, and and we're you know we're doing stuff there. But um, but again, I didn't do that. But what I did was I realized in my case that I was going to go over to the other side. I was going to go over to the side of, of marketing because that's what I've been doing all along, anyhow. Along with you know growing these magazines, I was I was. Marketing. I was helping, you know, get people famous. I was helping them to sign their advertising, all this kind of stuff. And I thought, you know, it's time for me to go to the other side of the desk and be that person. And like I said, that's when I started looking for a PR group that really understood the web. And I was luckily lucky enough to find it. And that's what I. That's the group that I turned into the placemaking group. And um, and that's where you know we are now in in terms of of. Um, not only designing websites, which is really essential, but also getting the word out all sorts of different ways, including search engine optimization and social media. I mean, all that stuff's out there, content marketing. It's a different world completely. In fact, I saw something recently that said that the world of marketing is now changing every two years, whereas in the previous century it changed every decade or two. So that's a kind of an interesting thing, huh? That that it's, to be in a amazing. world that changes every two Yeah, and you're intimately involved in it. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, we see, you know, the stuff that used to work. Well, first of all, the, the observation that I have is anybody smarter than me is the expert, you know, relative <laughs> to whatever they're talking about. And and, the realize, and you realize that most people are making stuff up as they go along because if you talk to somebody smarter than you, which we gave them the expert title, and you take notes, well, they tell you exactly the opposite from the second expert that you talk to. So if you say, wait a minute, I just spoke to you about SEO, and you're an expert because you've thrown out a whole bunch of stuff that really sounds good because I don't know, so therefore you're smarter than me, you're the expert. And then you make another phone call and you talk to that other SEO expert, and he either contradicts completely or makes up another whole story, and then you speak to another another one. You Eventually guys like me come and say, none of you know what you're talking about. You contradict <laughs> each other. It, all, it just sounds really good, and I don't know if you guys can ever figure it out. And then there's a company called Google that kind of shuffles the deck every once in a while or all the time, and what was working before is not working now. You know, what was white hat is now black hat. What was And it said, it's crazy. It's like the Wild West out there and then some. So you were experiencing it from like the very, 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 very beginning. So talk to us about that print shift, maybe if you will, and the music shift, because it's a whole different market today. And where it's is it going? It's completely different. It's completely different. And and you know what? I I can't tell you where it's going because because sooner or later it's going to be embedded in our brains on a on a microchip or something like that. But but right now what's what's happening is happening everywhere, which is. Um, you know, radio, local radio, is now uh, has gone through a huge metamorphosis. Uh, almost every, in all the major cities, and maybe in every single city, all the stations used to be owned by individual companies, and they would all grow, you know, and just get bigger and bigger, and there'd be 40 or 50 or 100 people working there. And now two or three companies have come in and bought everybody, and there's like five or six or ten people working per radio station, but there's 100 people in the building all working for 10 or 15 different stations. So that's what's, that's you know that's just radio. Uh, music has gone through a huge shift. You know, and, and again, if, if you look at any one given moment, it can be scary, but if you look at the long term, then things aren't as weird. Like with music, the interesting thing is, if you go back to England in the 1500s, musicians worked. There was always musicians that got paid to be musicians. Now, 
there was also, uh, you know, eventually uh, back in the 1500s or 1600s, there was, uh, you know, a guy named Shakespeare who who made a career out of out of writing uh, uh, plays, and those plays got put on stages, and and um, and so for a while that happened. But there were people traveling around England, traveling around France, traveling around Russia, who were musicians, and they that's what they did for a living. Then you get into the 20th century, and all of a sudden music goes through the roof because all of a sudden there's ways of getting music out that no one had predicted before, like radio, like records. Um, and all of a sudden a, a musician could become a multimillionaire. And not a lot of musicians became multimillionaires, but some of them did. And But all of a sudden there was all this money around. And then with the advent of the web, that money started to disappear again because now it's just too easy to distribute music for free. But the interesting thing is, so musicians are going back to what they did before, which is playing live. Now musicians, and I know lots and lots of them, by the way, because of you know all my uh, my friends, you know, for the last three music generations, um, and the way they they live and they live okay is by by traveling, by doing shows all over the country, all over the world, and the records or whatever you know, the recorded music now is not a big part of of the money that they make. And that's just the way it goes. It's it's back to the you know the future is like the past except with new new technology to make it happen. Um fascinating to watch. Yes. And by the way, do you have to do a commercial? I don't want you to get in trouble. You know, no, no, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about commercial a long time ago. This is too okay. interesting. Okay. Yeah, don't <laughs> So, we'll so do one at the end. Print. We'll do one at the end. Don't worry about it. I'll get yelled at by Don. Don always yells at me. You forgot station good, good, identification. Good. I don't care. Dennis is better than station identification. So, <laughs> so you start to take a look at the social media, though, and you know, mm-hmm. and you you take a look at it and you see there's so many talented people out there that do their YouTube videos and their covers, yep. especially that sort of stuff. And there's so many people. You know, let's face it. I guess Justin Bieber, right? He's yep. one of those guys that was a YouTube phenomenon. Uh, you know yep. more about the examples of and a, how. And a phenomenon. What's that? And a Twitter a phenomenon. Twi- oh, my gosh. I mean, who in the world would ever think that something with 140 so let's, let's characters... Talk about social, let's, let's talk about social media for a second, because social sure. media does change things. Okay? Um, there are three different ways that communication happens. One is one-to-one. You and I talking. That's one-to-one. I'm talking to you. You're talking to me. We're feeling like cool guys. And we're having a good time. But the cool guy thing is one-to-many. And that is what you do for a living. You're, you have a radio show that people are listening to. So when you're talking and you're interviewing me, we're being listened to by many people. And that's the traditional way. That's the way it's you know, gone on for, for um, centuries, really, you know, is, is one to many. But what social media did is all of a sudden it became many to many. And that's where everything goes out the window and you have to realize that the world has changed again. And that is that if, if um, and that, you know, and you're using that with your show, but, but basically if you post something, and I intend to as soon as I, I can post our show that we're doing right now on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc., and on our website, um, but the important thing is that as soon as you do that, you're not in control of it anymore. All of a sudden, it becomes part of the many-to-many. People then, you know, will share it, will rebroadcast it, will talk about it, um, and this can be really good or it can be really dangerous. And uh, you know, we go through that with, with, and I'll be glad to talk to you about the various social medias. But but each and each one is a little bit different. But the important thing to remember is that once you do something on social media, it is out there and you have no control over it. So you have to be really clear about your messaging, especially on social media. You have to be really clear about your message 
messaging. It has to you have to be talking about your brand very clearly um, because if you don't, if you if you get sidetracked or if you go in an opposite direction, who knows what can happen? Right, and some of those things are really damaging. Which is yeah. one of the reasons why Dawn is going to scream at me for not putting a commercial about her patient identity. <laughs> exactly. We'll do it at the end. Yeah. We'll do it at the end, Dawn. They'll stay for the whole thing. Don't worry about it, Dawn. Don't worry. Dinner, dinner will burn. The kids will be left at the bus stop. They'll stay listening. This is so a let's good talk call. About, let's, do, let's do a couple of social media things. LinkedIn. Yes. Business right? to business. When you're doing yep. LinkedIn, what you're doing is you're talking as a professional and you should talk as a professional. Facebook, business to com- consumer or B2C or C2C. In other words, when you're talking on Facebook, you want it to be heartfelt. That works. And I can give you stories about how, how spectacular that's worked for us. But you want the stories to be heartfelt. That's what works. Twitter. The interesting thing about Twitter is that um, Twitter is really a, a, an interesting tool. And by the way, these are all just tools. That's all they are. They're just tools. So, so with Twitter, if you're Justin Bieber or if you're incredibly famous, then you have and you tweet constantly because you know how big a star you are and you know that every word you say is interesting. Then, then, then famous people have huge Twitter followings. Uh, and of course, you want them all to be real. It was just announced today that that poor President Barack Obama has 19 million fake. Twitter followers, along with all of his millions of real Twitter followers. Wow. So that, that's not so good. But but the important thing is that if you're famous, people want to read your tweets, and, and that happens. The second group that works really well for Twitter are comics, because they're used to doing things in short bursts, you know, 140 characters. Um, and it's really interesting that, that with comics, they all do really well. The uh, most people with Twitter, it's a waste of time because there's easier ways to, to get the message out than Twitter. Now, the other way that Twitter works really well is for us in PR because what we do is we'll, you know, journalists are looking for story ideas, and one of the places they look is they look for hashtag phrases on Twitter for something that they're writing about. So we'll send out tweets about stories that we that we're writing for, you know, one of our clients or something like that. And uh, journalists will look at it, and all of a sudden, next thing we know, they're running a story that they didn't even talk to us about that they got from from one of our tweets, and that's fantastic. So again, Twitter has those those uh, you know those three uses that are really good. Either you're incredibly famous, or you're a comic, or you're in PR. But wow. but video video is one of the best. People love to watch videos. People, lots of, you know, because you have to think, how do people process information? Some people like to read. Some people like to watch. Some people like to listen. And you've got to have, you've got to be able to do all three of those. And you don't do them all in the same place. If, if necessary, you do them in all three different places, but you do them. And video is one of the most important. You're absolutely right. That's why YouTube is the sec- second biggest search engine in the world. And the biggest search engine is Google, who happens to own YouTube. But, uh, but the, you know, it's really important. You want to make sure you've got videos on your websites. You want to make sure that you've got, uh, you've got a video channel on YouTube or whatever. That's really important. You're absolutely right. Now, when when you say you got to, we deal with a lot of people that are in home-based businesses and the distributors for network marketing companies. Mm. And maybe I might say things the wrong way, but there are certain people that probably should, and there's probably certain people that probably shouldn't. Because if you've ever, so talk to us about you know when should you, when shouldn't you? Well, it's more important is again the brand message. If if it's not necessary for you, whoever you are, to be on the video. 
you can be the voiceover and you can have the brand message. The, again, the important thing is what is the information that you're getting out there. It's not every single time. This goes back to Bill Graham's advice to me to get famous. It's not a self-aggrandizement. It's a tool. Getting famous gets stuff done, and and you only use it when you need to. You don't use it when you don't need to. So in a video, it doesn't have to be a smiling face being me saying hi you know i'm mr wonderful and here's my story no it can be it can be video that is that has uh screenshots of words it can be video screenshots of things happening it doesn't have to be a person you know the face of a person talking it's good to have of course you have to have a voiceover of some sort but it doesn't even have to be you doing that and again whoever you is that i'm i'm you know them talking to it can be a good you know uh a person who really knows how to how to uh uh you know talk well on on camera the important thing is not who it is the important thing is that the message is getting out there give us some advice if you will on the social networking thing uh, what do you do if somebody's like a jerk? You know, I don't know why, but there's always there's certain the there's there's always that person out there. You could do amazing things, and then all of a sudden, somebody just feels compelled to say something stupid or mean. Well, in that case, in that case, and that happens all the time. And what we tell our clients is to to uh, if you can erase it. If it needs, if it's something that you know is going to be is going to be there, then you want to mention it, but then you want to get past it. What you don't want to do is spend, and this happens all the time. People spend a lot of time going back and forth with somebody that pisses them off. Don't do that. Get it over with and get past it. The important thing is that you're telling your brand message, not that you're dealing with one nut. But also, and I and I hopefully I have time to tell this little story. Um, sure. One of our one a friend of ours, um, sister. Uh, was killed in an auto accident. So, so sad. And the insurance company, which I won't mention, um, decided they weren't going to pay because there was 1% chance that she caused the accident, even though the person who who killed her um, said it was all his fault, he was the one that ran the red light, etc. The agency said, well, there's 1% chance that she might have caused it, so we're not paying. My friend's parents were destroyed my friend felt terrible, and he was talking to me about it. And the important thing is, in this particular case, was that he, he has a, um, a, a blog that's pretty well read. So I said, I want you to write a blog post about what happened and just be really clear about it. And then I'll put it on Facebook, and I'll get friends of mine to put it on Facebook to link to your blog. Within, within that day, three different TV stations called him up to do interviews, Within the next day, some national TV stations, TV shows, had him doing interviews. By the end of the week, there were there were, I think the number was nine thousand people dropped that insurance company as their insurance wow. company. And at the end of that week, two things happened. One was the insurance company fired their PR company because the PR company didn't know how to deal with this. And the second thing is they offered my friend's parents two million dollars to stop this. And my friend's parents said, all we want is what we were supposed to get, which is exactly the amount of money that the insurance was supposed to give us. And they said, no, 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 we have to, you know, so they eventually gave the rest of the money to a charity. But the important right. thing is that that if you are clear about what you're doing and um, and you're very, and it's heartfelt, some amazing things can happen. It's amazing the leverage that can happen one way or another. Just exactly absolutely right. flat out amazing. 
I mean, one story can change the world. Yep. So yep. It's, exactly. It's a it's an amazing phenomenon. Well, we're gonna say we have about a minute left, and maybe even less than that. I'm gonna say this is a great radio show interview. You've been listening to Dennis Arakin. He runs a company that has a website called PlaceMakingGroup.com. I'll put I'll squeeze you now, Dennis, while you're on the phone. Hopefully you'll come back. Okay. Hopefully. <laughs> This has been fun. I've enjoyed it. Hopefully you'll come back, and I'd love to hear more of the entrepreneurial stories. So I'll give you the last 30 seconds if you want to say anything. Okay, well, you know what? For everybody that's listening, if you go to our website, one of the screens that you're going to see as you look at it is something called brand therapy, and that's something that I just like to do. So if if one of your listeners is thinking, you know what, I I want to just – Test my brand against Dennis and give you know ask him for some ideas. I will be glad to do it. Just click through that and I'll give you a free thirty minute phone consultation called Brand Therapy. So uh, I'll be glad to do that for for anyone listening. Excellent, thanks. And we're going to have you come back and we'll spend more time talking. I was so fascinated with your stories. I want to come back and talk more about like what your company really does because we have a lot of listeners that either are working with companies that are struggling with their brand and they're probably not doing it the right way, and I know you'd be able to help us out. So, Dennis, thanks for being here. Placemakinggroup.com for all those people listening in. We're going to play our little exit music right now. Dennis, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Good day, everybody. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the show. At The Dash, we know that your time is precious, and your choosing to spend it with us means a lot. To get reminders for our live shows, click follow on the top of any show. Also, subscribe to our blog for articles, inspirations, and great products and services for your ever-growing business at thedashradio.com. For upcoming mobile experience, text DASH to 37404. And don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash thedashradio. Again, thanks for spending some of your Dash with us. We look forward to talking with you again soon. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.